Hey, Ma, did you see that stupid fucking Bailey This Is Your Life segment? Who the fuck wrote that shit? The same people who wrote Ready to Rumble? Oh, Mom. What's next? Necrophilia? What did you miss? The Attitude Era? It's time for uh, another wrestling podcast. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another wrestling podcast. This is episode 162. I'm Credo. I'm Minority Mike. Naturally, you know who the fuck I am. Angry Cooter, social assassin, at your disposal, bitches. That's right. Each and every week, we are another wrestling podcast. Guys, make sure if you've never listened to the show, head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. You'll find all of our links for social media past episodes, all that fun stuff. Uh, it's 2017, anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. You know what to do, right? Um, guys, it's another weekend. We're heading to another pay-per-view. Uh, do you feel overwhelmed with the pay-per-views, oh. or do you like it? I mean, we're wrestling fans. We love wrestling, right? But does it just feel like, hey, every weekend there's another pay-per-view. Do we, you have to take time out of your life to to watch it. I don't know. Does it feel like overkill by now or no? Was it last week where we had three fucking pay-per-views? Feels like Or was that two weeks ago? Two. It doesn't matter. I'm still on a hangover from that shit. <laughs> it's like enough is enough already. Wow, we're, we we love wrestling, but at the same time, it's like I think having that little bit of a gap in between uh, was better. But at the same time, I mean, eh, more wrestling the better. But it's it's Extreme Rules weekend. It's the Raw exclusive pay per view happening. Uh, instead of you know, in the past we would take these pay per views, put them on the show, review them like every other podcast. But since we're another wrestling podcast, we're gonna leave it up to our YouTube page. Uh, we're gonna review the show, give out some. Uh, things that we want to see, things we don't want to see, and just our, our predictions and analysis, if you will. So head on over to youtube.com slash another wrestling pod. The link's on our website. You'll find it there. But uh, that's where we're going to put that show. But guys, overall, I mean, give us what's something that you really want to see happen this weekend or anything you're looking forward to, at least. Not a goddamn thing on that card. I'm, I'm looking forward to new beginnings after this pay-per-view. We're having yet another... Austin Aries and Neville match number three. Yeah, here's an idea. Why don't we have? Uh, why don't we stop having Raw pay-per-views on the WWE Network and let's just make Raw a better show to watch on Mondays? <laughs> I, I'd settle for that. How about you guys? That's a really great idea. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, what I'm looking forward to. I mean, I am actually looking forward to the the Fatal Five Way. Um, the fact that it's not an elimination match will keep a lot of guys in that match strong. That also tells me that a guy like Bray Wyatt's taking the fall. But at the same time, you're, you're taking all these five guys and establishing them as your top guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how Samoa Joe looks in that match. Is he going to look like a monster? Is Finn Balor going to look like the, the guy who just comes from behind, defeats everybody? Or are they going to give it to Rollins like the rumors are? Like, I'm, I'm interested in that match, but it just tells me straight up that Bray Wyatt's going to be taking the fall. What about a Brock just, appearance, man? No? Okay, we see. We haven't seen him since when? WrestleMania? We got, they got $500,000 to give him to show up? <laughs> Man, we don't. I don't even know that they have a main title anymore. I forget about him, right? <laughs> Where's Brock Lesnar? He's on his farm with Sable. Oh, Pluto. God. Pluto right now <laughs> defending the Universal title. <laughs> Matt Hardy. He got his ass kicked from Sheamus and Star the other week and stuff. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. The fans are ready for him to finally break. Like we get it. Yeah, the Hardy Boys are back, but. 
man, uh, do you think Broken Matt Hardy is fading? Do you think we're ever going to see him? Or is this stupid court stuff still holding up? I think that's like, I don't know. Uh, that's one thing I want to see on Raw. That's what I want to see Broken Matt Hardy on Raw, but uh, I feel like we're never going to get it, guys. You know what it is? It almost feels like Vince is milking his version of the Hardy Boys for as long as he can because it's his creation and it's this and that. Well, once that starts to shit the bed, then he'll be like, all right, you guys can do whatever the hell you want now because it's not going to matter because I let my version of you bury you. Is it, if that makes any sense, I don't know. It's just like, it's like he doesn't want it to get over maybe. I don't fucking know. Well, the, here's the thing. Uh, so I, I get a lot of my wrestling sources from a guy by the name of John Pollock. Uh, he does a lot of MMA and wrestling. And he sat down and had an interview with um, Impact Wrestling's Ed Nolholm, or Nordholm, excuse me. Um, Ed Nordholm, they broke down about the broken character and the lawsuit and all that stuff. And he's gone on record and stated that the WWE has zero interest in getting the, w, the, the broken universe over there, which I was very confused of. And he swore by it. He also posted a bunch of contracts that stated it's their property, their, their stuff. So I, I don't, I don't know what to, to think about this now. Like, are we going to get the broken character? This guy from impact wrestling is literally going on record right now and talking about how the WB doesn't want it. They have no interest in it. I find that hard to believe, but at yeah. the same time, the guy is putting the company on his back. On the flip side of that, you got Dave Meltzer from The Observer basically saying that uh, it sets a bad precedent where if someone's been using a gimmick on another show, um, that's why they don't want to pay for it. Maybe, maybe it's the Hardys that are going after it so they can use it. Not necessarily just in WWE, but oh, anywhere yeah. else where they go afterwards. But the point is, it sets a bad precedent, like how the Warrior changed his name so he could use the Warrior gimmick, so on and so forth. If they're able to do this, what's going to stop other stars from WWE using their gimmicks from WWE trademarked or not? I mean, it opens a pretty bad door for them to a certain extent. It would be great to have the broken character in the WWE universe, but I do get that logic of how it is, why the WWE doesn't want any interest of it. Because, like one of you guys mentioned before, they they want their own creation to get over on their television. The Hardys are definitely the ones that are battling to get that broken character. Because when they leave the WWE, do they want to go through this whole legal thing again? Because if let's just say the WWE does get the broken universe characters. Now they're going to go through the whole thing again by using the broken universe when they leave the WWE. And it's going to be a just a freaking Groundhog's Day all over again. Do you think they gave them the championships, the tag titles too soon? I mean, everybody loves seeing them at Mania and all that. But I mean, just to give them the belts already, I, I feel like I know they're the Hardys. I know what they have done and whatnot, but... I don't feel like they're doing anything with it, you know? Like, we're just having a back and forth with Cesaro and Sheamus stuck in forever tag team hell right now to where uh, I would have thought it would have gone to, it would have gone to, like, an Enzo and Cass or something at that time, and it, they slapped the titles onto him, and I feel like they didn't know what to do with him after they slapped the titles onto him. Like, they barely let him do extended promos, promos in the ring, you know, just stuff to be like, you know, whatever. They've given him, like, very little mic time, and I don't know. I feel like creative has no idea what to do with them except for, hey, they're the Hardy Boys. Let's uh, just run with that, I guess. I don't know. And I, I'm looking for more. And I think all the fans out there really want to see that. We love, you know, that broken Hardy thing. And it's like fading fast. And it's like 
the more that we don't see it, it's like out of sight, out of mind, you know, fans are just going to like, eh, whatever. I don't care about it anymore or something like that. I hope it doesn't. I hope that I doesn't know. happen. No? I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. It just seems like every city they go to whenever Raw, they get that good pop. They're over. Um, so if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I really... Sure. I'd love to see that character, but I mean, when you look at WWE's version of the Hardys, they were never much for for promos. They never really, not until they went and had singles runs, but as a team, they were short-spoken and their actions basically did all the uh, speaking for them. I mean, it's, it's the highlight of the fucking WWE right there. Some of the the greatest extreme moments, which we'll talk about more later. Hey, Coming know, from the Hardys, man. You know, Matt Hardy's still kind of like holding on to his broken mannerisms you know like his poses his walk nothing too to that ex- extreme to that effect but uh you know he's not matt hardy 3.0 but he's still like he's like broken matt hardy reborn again away in a way you know he's still got that hair he's still got those you know those poses and stuff so it's like it's there but they're not releasing it yet and it's just like i'm biting my nails i want to like just do it all it's gonna get like the biggest reaction if it happens, and I don't know. But uh, I want to tell everybody once again, youtube.com slash another wrestling pod. Uh, that's our YouTube page where you can listen to past interviews. We're going to put up our Extreme Rules uh, pay-per-view special uh, up there this weekend. So make sure you check that out. Share it with your friends. Subscribe to us and all that fun stuff, guys. Uh, we're going to talk uh, Extreme Rules on that. Also coming up, we got the week that was... And we're going to talk about some of the goats of extreme, the greatest of all time. Uh, some of the, some of our favorites, some of the greatest that we think, you know, are the, like the kings of extreme, if you will. So stay tuned for that. But first of all, uh, coming up right now, speaking of extreme, ECW original little Guido is joining us right now uh, in the studio. Make sure you head on over and follow him on Twitter too at Nunzio underscore Guido. Uh, be sure to tell him AWP sent you, but let's welcome little Guido right now. Get real with the fever on the dance floor. Now who got the fever for the flames? Who can think the way that I flex on the track? Conclusion rampage. Ricky Rick on point with the knock my style for my left. That be rolling the mad joints. Just put your hands in the air. Cause there's a party over here, so grab yourself a beer And we can get our FIFA on, I'm with it So let me put my big brown FIFA on I'm coming with the disco, I can flip so I'ma drop a solo tip Something for the honeys in the crowd, let me hear it So I can turn the party out, till tomorrow afternoon Cause when I grace my skills, no one leaves the room So tell me, can you feel the mask girls coming with the FIFA, FIFA, FIFA Joining us today, he's more than just an ECW original. He's a full-blooded Italian. Please welcome Little Guido. Uh, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Uh, no problem, Little Guido. You have Nunzio. You have Damian Stone. You got a whole host of names. <laughs> all you go in with one. TNA. Yeah, you know, all in one. You go with <laughs> TNA. We did the thing with Tony Broadway. India. TNA <laughs> India. So 
There you go. Many name changes. That's right. So, what's going on? Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, for all the fans listening out there, uh, you're going to be appearing at Legends of the Ring on June 10th in Monroe, New Jersey at the Crown Plaza Hotel. Captain's Corner is going to be bringing you in. You're also going to be at WrestlePro that night. Uh, it's going to be a crazy day for you. It's happening over down in uh, Keyport, New Jersey. For everybody listening, uh, WrestleProOnline.com. Uh, what do you have to say for the fans coming out there to meet you at both the shows? Well, actually, I'm, uh, I, I have done Legends of the Ring before in the past, uh, but the difference now is I'm coming in and with uh, Tracy Smothers. So the fans that came to meet, meet me there a couple of years ago, um, if they were fans of the ECW and they were fans of me and Tracy and Tommy Rich at the time, you had the chance and opportunity then for them not only to meet me, to meet my uh, old tag team partner, Tracy Smothers, and uh, you know, ask questions, do what they want. It's always great to see the fans. A lot of them talk about the old days and, you know, Extra questions, and then uh, right down the road in uh, in Keyport, we're wrestling with Pat Bucks, uh, Wrestle Pro. Uh, me and Tracy are going to be in uh, tag team action. So, you know, it's going to be a good night, a good good afternoon, and a good night of uh, wrestling. And come see the old Football blood Italians do it one more time. There you go. And uh, now we can just take a step back a little bit uh, for some of the fans who probably don't know too much about you. How did you get into this crazy world of pro wrestling, and how did you hook up with Billy Robinson? I started wrestling. I started in 1990 at uh, in uh, East Coast Professional Wrestling School, which wasn't labeled that back then. It's Gino Caruso and uh, Rocky Jones, uh, Jerry Fazio, and uh, that was up in Porcipi, New Jersey. I was uh, I was an amateur wrestler in high school, and I wrestled. Uh, I was captain of my wrestling team, and in the summertime, they used to send us to Stroudsburg Wrestling Camp. And um, when I went there, all the my friends in school always knew I was a big pro wrestling fan. I started watching in the early '80s. I used to watch Superstar Billy Graham, Bob Backlund. You know, starting back then, Don Morocco. So when we went to this wrestling camp. There was another counselor there that uh, nobody knew. Somebody he used to wrestle as the executioner, and nobody knew him. But he used to wear a mask and stuff. And it leaked out that there's a pro wrestler that's a coaching on like the third floor. And it got to me, and I'm like, there's a pro wrestler that's a, an ex pro wrestler that's a coach. So I'm like, where? And then they said, oh, he used to wrestle as the executioner. Well, at the time, I never knew there was 85 executioners. I thought <laughs> there was only one that we see on TV, not realizing that there could be many of them under a mask. Sure. And I'm like, oh, I know who that is. I know who that is. And I ran up there and started talking to him. And, and um, you know, I said, oh, I want to be a pro wrestler one day. And he's like, well, he goes, you're young because I was only in high school. He's like, gave me his phone number. And he said, you know, reach out to me when you graduate. I guess I don't think he ever thought I was actually going to do that, but. As soon as I graduated, I kept his number for two years. Uh, I gave him a call. I think he forgot he gave it to me. And um, he ended up sending me up to Gino Caruso's wrestling school, which he was he was helping running, too, at the time. And it was very lucky because back then, nowadays, you could push a button, 82,000 wrestling schools pop up. Back in the early 90s, there was not many schools. Basically, you had Johnny Rods, which I didn't even know about at the time, mm-hmm. you know, because that, that was not in Brooklyn. Um, so I was actually lucky enough to, uh, you know, just fate that has it that, uh, that I went to wrestling camp in that summer and ended up meeting Jerry Fazio and, you know, he introduced me to a wrestling school. So that's how I got into pro wrestling. And then like two years as I was training and stuff, the school got a phone call and they were looking for guys to do this shoot type of wrestling, which I didn't even know what shoot type of wrestling was. And, um, you know, the guys at my wrestling school up in Geno's knew that I, I was an amateur wrestler. You know, and that's the type of it, it kind of was, but it was also with kickboxing and submission, which I had no idea at that time anyway. So um, I heard about it and I inquired in and I called up there and I ended up getting a tryout in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. 
And I went for the tryout and, um, you know, they put me in the ring with Billy Scott, Gene Leidick, um, and all these guys that were like great wrestlers. But besides that, there were also great submission guys, which I knew nothing about submissions because in amateur wrestling, the object is, is not to go more than 45 degree angle because you don't want to break anybody's bones. Well, in submission style wrestling, it's totally opposite. You go more than 45 degree angles with chokes and arm bars and all that shit, which I didn't know. So they brought me there and they stretched me for a week and I didn't get no offense because, you know, even though I was casting my wrestling team, these guys were great wrestlers, but they also knew submissions. Once they took me down, they started making me squeal like a pig and I had no idea what was going on. So and then after the first week, they asked me to stay and they were going to train me and, and, uh, you know, they paid for my hotel. I mean, my hotel, they paid for my apartment, food. And then, uh, after, um, they signed me to a deal and they said, once you're done training and we feel you're ready, we're going to send you to Japan for your first fight. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, then they sent me to Japan. I ended up being there for almost three years and I went back for the Japan for three years and Billy Robinson was the coach. Wow. He was my coach, and through that, I met Danny Hodge. I met Luke Fez when I was in Japan, and I worked. I trained with. I wouldn't say trained with them, but I got in a ring with them quickly. But they weren't my trainers because you know I only did it the one time with them. Billy Hodge was my trainer. I mean, um, Billy Robinson was my trainer. Sure, for that, a good almost two years. Wow, yeah. So that was at the UWF, right out there in Japan. That was UWFI, yes. Yeah, and then uh, so I mean, how different is it? I mean, compared to wrestlers out here, maybe people who have never been there. I mean, how, just how different is it compared to like wrestling in the states? I mean, it's just the, it just you said, is it more like shoot wrestling or? Well, they have American style groups too. That was a shoot wrestling group. Mm-hmm. You know that was that was actually different. But honestly, by then the match was definitely a shoot. But they were work finishes towards the end, mm-hmm. which you'd get in the ring and they would make they would tell you who goes over. But if you don't if you don't fight fight back, that guy will kick your ass for fifteen minutes and then maybe put you over. <laughs> it wasn't like American style pro wrestling. When I first started going there, you know, if I got kicked or something, they didn't want you taking a back bump, what we call it now. They want you like if you get kicked in the face, they want you to drop like you're knocked out. Mm-hmm. But it was very much uh, shoot. I think UWF in the very beginning was it was more of a was a shoot. But by the time I got there, I think they were turning it into a work shoot. And uh, that's what it ended up being with me. But, you know, a lot of those guys did shoots and works and, you know, it, it was a kind of a mixed bag. But but the American style groups out there, New Japan and stuff, that's a mixture of shoot style, but with body slams and hip tosses. Mm-hmm. UWFI, Pancreas, none of those guys did any of those type of, uh, you know, hip American style matches. But you got your, you got New Japan, you got, you got your American style, um, you know, uh, promotions out there too. You know, then you had FMW, which was... We know Terry Funk and Cactus. That was like the brutal barbed wire shit and all that kind of stuff. That was totally different, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, Japan's my favorite country to be in. I, I wrestled all over the world: England, Ireland, Finland, and everywhere, numerous times. Germany, um, but Japan was always my favorite. Always my favorite country to work in. Now, now, early on in your career, I mean, you just got thrown right into that kind of style of wrestling. I mean, is that good or bad? I mean, in your opinion, to where, uh, I don't know, do guys, you know, do that kind of wrestling right off in their career? I mean, you were, it was just because you had that amateur style background? Well, I think it's because of that amateur style background. A lot of guys that don't even know nothing about amateur wrestling, you don't got to know nothing about amateur wrestling, and you can be a great pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, it ain't like it ain't like baseball, hockey, football. In order to go to the pros, you need to do it from a young age and know how to do it. 
well, pro wrestling is a totally different thing. Amateur wrestling and pro wrestling is totally different. So it wasn't like a lot of the schools don't even teach amateur wrestling. You don't even got to know amateur wrestling. It was just, you know, timing is everything. And it was my situation at the time. And I was going to that wrestling school and they would, they had UWFI and UWFI was calling wrestling schools. So they called my school and Gino Caruso told me about it. Mm. And I was like, oh, can you mind if I reach out to him? And I reached out to these guys and they flew me out there and, you know, they saw, they saw me wrestle and I guess they liked me. Otherwise it would have never kept me or asked me to stay. There was 15 of us and they only kept uh, me wow. out of all the other guys that were up there to train with them. Sure. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, if you fast forward a little bit too, I mean, uh, how did you wind up in ECW? Was there any, you know, story to that where, uh, how you got into there? Yeah, big story. Before when I first started wrestling with um, uh, out of the wrestling school with Gino Caruso, the Savoldis used to run locally in the area. So one time they were doing a show in Persephone Smith Field, and it was one of my first matches ever. And uh, Gino Caruso was on the show, so Gino and Kodiak Bear, and they said, "Hey, why don't you come to the show? We'll introduce you to Mario Savoldi." Um, you know, and you know maybe you could work. They did all the local shows. They used to do the IWCCW. So I went up there that night and uh, somebody didn't show up and they needed me to work. So I ended up working on the show with Eric Fox and they had me do a 15 minute Broadway, which I didn't even know what a Broadway was. The guy's like, you're doing a Broadway. I'm like, do you know what, what is this guy talking about? I didn't even know what a Broadway was, which is a time limit draw. Mm-hmm. So I went and did that. And ever since then, the Savoldi started booking me on different shows. Well, at that time, guys like Taz, Tommy Dreamer, um, Flex Lavender, Ray Odyssey, those were all the guys being used there. So they used me for about a year and a half, and I would always do, you know, they were Dreamer and Taz, and then we're getting pushes and stuff. Uh, Chris Candido at the time, and uh, they, I became friendly with them. And right, so I started working all the time there. So what happened was, right when they were, um, you know, I got that call to go do the Japan thing after about a year and a half working for the Savoldis. So I left and I went and did the Japan thing. When I came back, uh, when they closed down, you know, I guess why I was in Japan, what happened was um, Dreamer, Taz, they started They started this, they went with Paul Lee and they started doing this ECW thing. Mm. You know, I was in Japan when it first started. So when I came home, I got booked to go to, for Carlos Colon to go to Puerto Rico. And I saw um, uh, Pablo Marquez, who wrestled in ECW. Oh, and the Sandman too. I met the Sandman back in the early days. So Pablo Marquez is like, hey, he goes, oh, I wrestle with ECW and this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard of that. I said, uh, I said, what's going on? He's like, yeah, it's me. He goes, Tommy Dreamer's there, Sandman, uh, Taz. I said, oh, listen, tell those guys I said hello. I know them for a long time from before I went. And I gave him my phone number. And then we uh, we did a tour in Puerto Rico. And then I went home. And then like two weeks later, Pablo Marquez called me up. He's like, oh, man, I told Dreamer and them. You said hello. They want you to come down to Philly and meet Paulie. I was like, oh, so that was wasn't for Pablo. Pablo's the one that actually gave my number. I didn't, wouldn't even thought of it if he didn't even ask me about it. And I'm like, all right. And oh, actually, I didn't go down to Philly to meet him. I went. They were doing Lost Battalion Hall, and they and uh, I drove down there and uh, I went there and Dreamer and Taz and said a lot of those guys. And they went and introduced me to Paulie. And I remember the first time I go up to Paulie, I go, Paulie, hey, how you doing? My name is Damian Stone. He goes, I know who you are. Which I guess just he knew me from the independence. You know, everybody follows everything that's going on. I'm like, oh, like I was surprised that he said that. You know, this is like 1995, maybe, and um, 1996, somewhere around there. And he started uh, right away. He just started using me on the shows as Damian Stone. 
And for like a couple of months, he was always like, oh, you remind me of a Joe Pesci type of guy, you know, like a small little firecracker. I don't take no shit from nobody. Hey, oh, hey, you remind me of like a little Joe Pesci. You, you have a big mouth. You want to fight all the big guys. And uh, he kept saying that to me, saying that. He goes, you're like little Guido. I want to call you little Guido. And I'm like, oh, all right. And then one day I showed up in Lost Battalion Hall a couple months later. Um, I was working for them already at Damien Stone, all off TV, a mm-hmm. little bit of on TV, but not much. Mm-hmm. And then one day we're in Lost Battalion Hall, and he goes, you know, I'm going to pair you with, with, with J.T. Smith as the full-blooded Italians. A lot of guys think, I've said this before in interviews, mm-hmm. a lot of guys think I'm actually the original because after J.T., I've had numerous partners. But the first real full-blooded Italian is J.T. Smith, <laughs> not me. He was the first guy that had the gimmick. And then Paulie put me with J.T., and then J.T. Um, quit and moved to Virginia, and then he brought in uh, Tommy Rich and Tracy Smothers and put us together. And then as time went on, those guys left. He brought in Big Sal and Tony Mamaluke. Um, and then in the meantime, I had one man gang there for a little while. I had Mabel there. So but anyway, now I'm getting off course. That's how I got into ECW. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, I was going to bring up too. Uh, you know, the FBI uh, were were definitely a cornerstone of ECW. Any ECW show you went to or or, or saw, you, you wanted to see the full blooded Italians. I mean, as soon as that music hit. Uh, we loved it. You know, everybody loved it. But was that was that maybe some like the first time you were a part of something that kind of took off, or was you know it, it's lasted so many years. I mean, everybody knows who the FBI are. Uh, oh yeah, you know, I I would have never thought at the time that I would have made history as part of the company, not just me. You know, whoever knew that 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 each show was going to be like that. Yeah, that was the first thing. Like you never, I didn't know in 1995, 96, 97, 98 why I was doing that. That in the year 2016, you know, it's on the network, which helps. I mean, I go to shows now, independent shows. I, I still do a good amount of shows. I'm actually wrestling in Cleveland uh, for John Thorne this weekend. I got every weekend booked. Nice. And, you know, I don't, I have a regular gig going on that I do during the week, you know, but, you know, wrestling's like my side job. And I really believe the network helps keep you going. Cause I got, I go to shows. I have kids 10, 12 years old going, Hey, little weirdo, I see the YouTube on the network. These kids wouldn't even know who I am. <laughs> you know, they don't even know who Nadio is. Yeah. You know, they're young guys. So, you know, no, you never know that you're going to be part of history. But I feel like I was part of history. I was from the ECW from basically when it opened to it closed down to the very end. You know, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I was part of that. I mean, I can go on a network and watch all these different shows that I've been on, you know. So, um, yeah, so it's good. So it is the first thing I ever did. And it actually taught me how to work the cameras and work on TV and, and hit my times and got me prepared for later on for when I did go to WWE. Yeah, well, speaking of WWE, you know, fast forward a little bit too now. Uh, just all in all, I guess when people go to the WWE, I mean, the one big thing is WrestleMania for everybody. Uh, you were able to work at WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden. Uh, what was it like to be able to maybe almost come full circle? Because I, I remember reading that you were, you know, going there as a kid to now actually being at WrestleMania 20 wrestling. Right. Well, I, I was at WrestleMania 1 with me and my father and my brother. WrestleMania 1, I was in Madison Square Garden watching that. So whoever knew 20 years later, and I brought my mother and father there too that day, I would have been wrestling in WrestleMania 20 in Madison Square Garden. But I have wrestled uh, for WWE before that Garden show, before WrestleMania. I did wrestle in the Garden before many times, mm-hmm. you know, before the WrestleMania, because they used to do TVs there and house shows there and shit like that before WrestleMania 20. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I wrestled there a few times before. That wasn't my garden debut, but just because it was WrestleMania, it was it was a big deal and it was something great. Because whoever knew twenty years later, I'll be wrestling in Madison Square Garden in WrestleMania. <laughs> so that was a you know great. I mean, I was able. I wrestled in many WWE pay per views, but I hit 
two out of the big four. I've done the Royal Rumble twice, and I've done um, uh, WrestleMania. So definitely. Why did they uh, drop uh, Little Guido and go with Nunzio in WWE? Was there any special reason behind that? Or I mean, because everybody knew you as Little Guido. Was it just one of those things they didn't want to use that name and make up their own name? Or yeah, they didn't. I, I guess so. Like I didn't really ask questions. You know, they brought when they brought me in. They, um, you know, Paulie. Paulie was the writer there. You know, from Paul Heyman's the one that got my job there. You know, he obviously knew me from ECW, and um, you know, I, I was friendly with him. And and when the when the company closed down, I spoke to him. He's like, hey, I, you know, he told me he said I'm gonna get your job in the WWE. It took two years, but you know what? To me, he kept his word. You know, and and it came through, and then I lost contact with him for a while because I wasn't sure if it was going to happen or not. You know, just doing my thing. Mm-hmm. And then when he called me up, he, you know, I didn't ask too many questions. He said, "We're going to bring you in." He goes, "Vince wants to call you Nunzio and this." So, you know, I didn't really question it. I was like, "Okay, sure." You know, I don't really know what why what happened. I don't know, maybe because at the time too, they wanted too many small guys there. I don't know, Vince like little Guido. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so. Not that, it, not that I was any bigger in size, but, sure. but I really don't know. But when they told me that they were going to call me Nunzio, I didn't really question it. Sure, yeah. And just lastly, too, I mean, a lot, a lot of people may not know, too, is you refed a little bit, too, in WWE, right? Uh, after the whole, uh, I guess, their ECW, uh, WWE's version of that? Or at what point did you just transition into doing some refing? No, I did the refing. No, that was totally, I got, um, ECW already closed down. Oh, yeah. And, um... Yeah, they were done already. I got released in 2008, and I think I went to ref in 2010 because of um, they had a big snowstorm, mm-hmm. and uh, they were wrestling at Madison Square Garden, and they had a huge snowstorm, and um, a lot of the referees couldn't make it, mm-hmm. and I they knew I lived in New York, so they uh, you know they they uh, WWE called me up and they said, hey, what are you doing? I said, no, nothing. Why? I mean, it was a blizzard outside. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, okay, you think you can get to the garden? Uh, half the talent made it. None of the refs made it. Uh, we don't have anybody to referee. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, so I, I came down there. It took a few hours. Uh, I went and refereed that night. And then, um, you know, afterwards they asked, you know, they asked me, hey, how'd you like it? Blah, blah, blah. I said, it was all right. It was pretty cool. So um, they signed, they uh, asked if I wanted a referee for a little while. And I did. And I went for about a year. And then, um, you know, then that was it. It didn't, you know, a couple of different things that went on. But, you know, it was a good opportunity. Just didn't work for me. But, you know, not everything works for you, you know? No, definitely. Well, uh, once again, you know, we thank you so much for, for coming on tonight. Uh, for reminding everybody, you're going to be at Legends of the Ring on June 10th uh, at the Crown Plaza Hotel and also that night at WrestlePro. Uh, guys, uh, make sure you head on over to Facebook.com slash Captain's Corner at C-A-P-T-I-N-S Corner. Uh, and you can find WrestlePROnline.com for all the information and to see Little Guido on June 10th. Uh, thank you so much. We appreciate your time tonight. Dan, thank you for having me, and I'll see everybody at WrestlePro, and I'll see everybody at the Crown Blaster. All right, thanks to little Guido. Once again, make sure you head on over to Twitter and follow him at Nunzio underscore Guido. Uh, guys, a crazy week in the world of wrestling, so let's get right into the week that was. All right, a little bit of a Kurt Angle controversy on Raw, guys. I was kind of taken back by it. I didn't know what was going on. It seemed kind of weird. It was intriguing, if you will. You know, Corey Graves abruptly left his post. He hurried backstage uh, to speak with Angle. He showed him a message on his phone. It had something to do with someone uh, believing Angle was a disgrace or something to that effect. 
Uh, we didn't know much about it, but people are saying it could be a Stephanie McMahon return, uh, return or something to that effect. Uh, people are also saying could uh, Graves try to, you know, replace Angle as GM somehow. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's leaving the audience guessing, but just from what you saw on Monday Night Raw, guys, uh, could this be the beginning, the, the seeds to maybe a return for Kurt Angle in the ring? Or... I don't know. He's been doing a great job other than the Raw kind of sucking, but he's great on camera. I love seeing Kurt and what he does. But guys, uh, what do you think is happening with this? It's kind of out of, It was kind of out of the blue, though, no? I kind of hope that uh, Corey Graves isn't going to replace Kurt Angle's commissioner. Then we'd be stuck with David Otunga and Michael Cole on commentary, and that would be a fucking travesty. <laughs> that would make Raw completely unwatchable for me. <laughs> Uh, Kurt Angle's response when he saw that phone was as if like he saw Charlotte's nudes for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> or Steph Rollins sending him a cockpick. Yeah, or he just realized that Tom Phillips is being a dirty bird again. <laughs> sending shit out there. Um, you know, I'm kind of hoping that this is like a, a leeway into him possibly leaving the GM role and becoming an active role on the roster wrestling in the ring being a part-time guy because let's just face it we all want angle in that ring one more time at least or at least one more good storyline to happen with angle uh, so that that's what i'm hoping for uh, but i mean it's funny that like you know graves is the guy who's like getting yeah. all the inside scoops now all of a sudden <laughs> It, it, it was just weird. It was like out of, uh, I don't know, it was like out of left field, if you will. And, uh, you know, with the whole Enzo Amore and uh, Big Cass storyline going on, a lot of people are saying uh, Big Cass is going to, you know, turn on Enzo and they're going to split that team up. And with, you know, with the interaction with him and uh, Graves, could we even see uh, Corey Graves leave the, the the announcer position and maybe be a manager for uh, Big Cass or something to that effect? I mean... I don't know. He's a great announcer to leave, to lose him like that. I don't know. There's so many things going, coming in from every direction. I have no idea what, where to put it at right now. But we have a, a controversy happening with Kurt Angle. I, I'm, I'm just lost with what's gonna go, what's going on. Uh, <laughs> you know, I saw, I saw a picture, a meme online um, about a week ago. Corey Graves said, "I would love to shake the hand of the man." who beat down Enzo. And then a week later, they show a picture of him shaking Cass's hand. Yes. They're like teasing that out there as well. It's interesting. I am I feel so bad because I feel like Enzo and Cass, they never won the tag titles on NXT, right? They, they moved them right up. And then when they moved them right up, I thought that's when they were going to give them the WWE tag titles up here. And they were so popular. I mean, the, the crowd reactions, the fans love them. I thought they were going to, even at WrestleMania, man, I thought that was their night. And they, it's like they failed to, nobody wants to put the straps on them. And I don't understand why. But now if they do split them up, I'd be like, I I feel like that was a big, is a big travesty to where they split them up before they even gave them something to like at least run with for a little bit. And there's only so many times you can come out saying you're seven feet tall and you can't teach that. Ugh, I don't know. The fans still love them, but to break them up, is that the right way to go? And is this just going to lead to something bigger with Angle? I don't know. Can I just say something? As entertaining as Enzo is on the microphone, and as fun as it is to watch him stand in front of that big fucking jabroni, Big Kaz, that team sucks, okay? <laughs> that team sucks in the ring. If it wasn't for Big Kaz, all right, fucking Enzo Amore would be sweeping the mats on 205 Live. 
<laughs> that's just a fact. The, the guy is great on the mic. He's got a lot of charisma. He's got a good look. He's mediocre at best in the ring. And I like watching him on TV. But what's he going to do if they break up this team? Oh, it's the it's end of him, man. I feel like it's going to be the death of uh, Enzo to where it's you know he's going to be that Santino funny guy and yes. what are they going to do put the US title on him and, or what you know it's ugh, he's going to he's and either going to get lost or shit. yeah what 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 classic tag team match can you remember Enzo and Kaz from because we can name a bunch of teams and be like man they had a really good match against so and so within the last month what can you say that about Enzo and Kaz I think they Honestly. just get the crowd, you know, more is entertaining. It's not necessarily that, you know, they're mat technicians or whatnot, but I, I don't know. I think it's not just like the crowd technician. buying them, you know. It's just their in-ring work. I mean, when, when, when Enzo takes the beating and gets the, you know, it's classic tag team wrestling. It's not like the Revival who just grind out their opponents and have great chemistry. It's Enzo takes the beating and gets the hot tag for Kaz. It's so boring. It's so 80s. It's it's fucking terrible. I, I I can't sit there and say that I enjoy watching them as a team work a match on Raw. I can't. I, th- I thought they were like Triple H guys in a way to where I, I remember seeing that backstage, the whole 24 thing they did with them about moving them up. Yes. And I, is it just politics to where, you know, Triple H loves certain guys. He brings them up and then whoever – is it – uh, Kevin Dunn or whoever on Raw, they just don't like these certain guys and they don't want to do anything with them. It's like they hit a roadblock. Like Triple H or whomever loves them, brings them in, and then you know whoever's running the backstage, whether it be Vince and other guys, they're just like, mm, I don't know. It's like that politics to where they don't they don't care about whoever they brought in. They weren't their creation, so we're not going to do anything with them. And ugh, I feel like they're they're a part of that. You, you, you can make that argument, but I mean, you can also make the argument you have the power. You have Owens, uh, two Universal Champions, relatively short time. I mean, what, was Finn Balor on the show for two or three weeks before they put the strap on him? Granted, it was for a night, but you you know what I'm saying. Like, if if, there's there's guys who are good at getting the crowd, and then there's guys who are just good all around, like a Kevin Owens or Finn Balor. I mean... You really you're comparing apples and oranges, and I hate that <laughs> phrase because why can't fruit be compared? <laughs> I, th- I think the Enzo's and Kaz's best match was uh, NXT London when they okay. faced the Revival. That was their best match, and and granted, uh, the Revival carried a lot of that match, and there's there's a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of storytelling on the Revival working Enzo, like you said traditional booking and then big cast gets the hot tag but unfortunately they didn't get it done you know i i really enjoyed this tag team i thought they were great on the mic they're good at getting the crowd going but i can't disagree at all with the fact that they're just so lackluster and a little disappointing in the ring if this tag team gets broken up you're going to have a program for about maybe a month or two with these two and then you're going to see enzo down in it 205 Live being the realest guy in the room over there oh, where course. nobody watches 205 Live. <laughs> oh, if anything, I would use him as a manager. But, I mean, could this tie into that whole story? Could we I, – I mean, if they break up – if 
I, I feel almost upset to where if they took Corey Graves off the of commentary to where he's definitely a better commentator uh, than just waste him as a manager. I don't know. There's so many things like he could happening. do the Bobby Heenan, Heenan role though. That's true. Bobby Heenan both, was on yeah. commentary, but then he can also be the manager as well. I didn't think about that. There you go. He, he's he's the modern day Bobby Bobby Heenan in my opinion. I think he's amazing. I love it. Good comparison. That's uh, I didn't even think about that. I was just like uh, taking him off and not using him on there, and uh, I think that's perfect. But uh, hey, it, it, there's a big controversy going on between Angle and Graves, and uh, I don't know with Enzo and Cass. We'll see what happens. Uh, but guys, other things are happening on another show. Uh, if you didn't see SmackDown, the the women have been granted, like we talked last week, they're going to get a Money in the Bank ladder match uh, at the next pay-per-view uh, Smackdown exclusive Money in the Bank but Nia Jax had some recent criticism of the Raw creative team she tweeted wow first ever Money in the Bank women's ladder match amazing how Smackdown Live uses their entire in, capital, in caps entire women roster every Tuesday uh, that's what she had to say uh, guys, what do you think about this? Because I got some thoughts about it that uh, I'm not really uh, with Nia on. But uh, w- what's your take on this? Is uh, Are you guys behind what uh, Nia is throwing out? Good for her. Good for her for standing up for herself, trying to get herself out there. Granted, is it going to be the right decision? No, she's probably going to get buried for standing up for herself. But good for her because I feel like that the Raw women's roster has a better roster than the SmackDown roster, in my personal opinion, I think they deserve something, all of them together. Because you got Mickey James, you got Sasha Banks. Let's face it, Sasha Banks is on 205 Live now for a little bit. She has nothing going for her right now. So you have Mickey James, Sasha Banks, Alexa Bliss, Bailey, Nia Jax has actually improved in the ring. You have a solid women's roster, and you're doing nothing with these women right now. And then you go to two, you go to SmackDown Live. Now, granted, Natty, in my opinion, is one of the best female wrestlers in the business. Charlotte's that. a natural athlete. Naomi's also a good athlete. I think Carmella is horrible, <laughs> absolutely horrible. And then Becky Lynch, she's great too, but I just don't see those five women being the women to be in the Money in the Bank. I I, I just – granted, I don't want to take away from the women. You know, Good for them. They got that Money in the Bank match. But good for Nia for standing up for the women's side on on Raw because they deserve something as well. On the flip side of that, let me let me throw this out there because I, I totally agree with, with, with Nia's assessment. I mean, and it's not just the women's division. It's just that whole roster. You're either at the top of the card, uh, in the title picture for every single belt, or you're not even on fucking TV unless you're doing a job. But you could sit there and, and, and say how uh, it's, a, it's a superior roster compared to SmackDown, but... If, if you ask me, every segment on SmackDown this week was very, very watchable. And absolutely, the woman's segment where they were just beating the ever-living shit out of each other, even that sold me on that match, okay? The women stole the show for me that night. I mean, it, granted, we, we didn't get a finish. We didn't... But we, we got... A, a great story and holy God, I mean, just fucking beating after beating. And I just, I could watch them all night. I was enjoying the shit out of it. And even Carmella as green and terrible as she is, she made it look good. She does. 
But she's got a great little character on her. You know, oh, great ass too. Can I just <laughs> say that real quick? <laughs> what I find about this is that Naya, okay, with the SmackDown roster, I I love that they get to use all the women, but I hate how they have to use all the women on one segment every week. You know what I mean? It's I almost feel like. <laughs> it's amazing to where, okay, you have the same company, WWE, two Raw and SmackDown, but it's like you have, you know, two different people running the show, obviously, but it, you know, it feels like it should be one person where it's like, okay, we're going to use the women like this on both shows, and they're not doing it like that, to where SmackDown, it's like every segment we get all the women on one for SmackDown, for, for whatever. I know this was building up for the money in the bank, but it's just like every week, it's all the women doing something. And then on Raw... It's like, okay, they can't even do anything without the, the women's championship. They can't even have a feud without just put, booking it around the belt. And all the other girls get lost in the back because, like, they don't do anything with them. So it's it's weird to where damned if you do, damned if you don't. But for, for that, I mean, I, I hate how they have to use the entire roster every week to where we can't just see somebody go one-on-one with the champion and then somebody else have a feud somewhere else and whatnot. But it's just too much for me uh, to see them like that each and every week. It's funny because... You know, last week I was talking about how much I, I really just despise having all of them in the same segment. But in, in this case, it's okay. And I think the difference in why they have to do that on SmackDown every week is the difference in the times. I mean, Raw's a three-hour show compared to the two hours you only get for SmackDown. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of fucked in that situation. So... They're, they're, they're doing the best they can with showcasing everybody, at least, whether you like how they're doing it or not. At least everybody's getting some kind of exposure. I, I would fully expect after the Money in the Bank, you probably will start having two women's segments at some point. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I realized something. It, it's crazy how SmackDown, which is a two-hour show, gives everybody on their a roster a chance to shine yes. in a two-hour process rather and raw i mean where's mickey james you know she's somebody who should be implanted somewhere you know there's there's no character development i feel on raw that's why i feel like nia jack standing up like like I, I mentioned she said for the women but then you brought up the point for the locker room which is also a true point because the, the, there's a lot of guys on the roster too that aren't really getting any character development right now when you go to raw now, Breezango is not in a tag title picture anymore, but they're developing a program with the Colognes, and that's going to be spotlighted on SmackDown as well. So there, there's more spotlight and more opportunities on SmackDown, I feel, than there is on the Raw brand. And the Raw being a three-hour show, desperately trying to fill three hours, which is so bad to watch. I just thought of something. I just literally thought, you're talking about how there's no character development on Raw. But look, we got we got this great promo from our truth this week. Yeah, that's how you we only- utilize top talent. Let's put our <laughs> truth and gold dust on fucking television. Oh, I'm, I'm confused. Is is uh, James Ellsworth a part of the women's division on SmackDown? Because <laughs> that's yeah, all I'm getting that, out of that each and every all, week. That's where I've if they're going to break up Enzo and Cass, they need to put Carmella back with Cass and just. Oh, is this contract up yet? That's what I'm trying to get to. Is when are we going to... Please, we need to... Uh, all right, anyway, I don't want to keep he talking He should be it. in the women's division. That face <laughs> with that beard looks like a pussy with a bush on it. Santina. There we go. <laughs> what did you say? His beard... Oh, my god! I said the way his face looks with that beard. I said uh, it looks like a pussy with a bush. 
Alright, well, we're still having a women's revolution, apparently, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the, the writers <laughs> don't know it, I guess, yet. But, uh, uh, guys, uh, the rumor mill's going. Uh, get that grain of salt, if you will. Uh, Hulk Hogan could possibly be returning to WWE. People are saying he's in talks. He's been telling people at autograph signings that he's in talks. Uh, if we bring back the Hulkamaniac, uh, what are we going to do with him? Where, uh, where, where do we put him? Like, what? Well, how do we use Hulk Hogan? I mean, WrestleMania is until next year. SummerSlam is right around the corner. Uh, what do we do with this guy? And do it's we keep tough. him? Do we keep him out of the New Day for a little bit? Oh, you know say, it's great. He's, no, he's, he's, he's he's gonna, he approves his master. What? Apollo Cruz new manager. Oh my god. Oh no. Even worse than that. He's he's gonna have to change his whole persona and 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 change some of his favorite he's no longer gonna be allowed to say, Let me tell you something, brother, because like someone's gonna complain that it's some (laughs) type of microaggression and he's gonna be back in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just you can't say that anymore, Hulk. Oh, Let me tell you Hulk. something, brother. Is Hulk no. the one? Is Hulk the one saying that he's in talks or like uh, is some confirmed he, WWE? Because Hulk likes to spit off the mouth a lot sometimes with oh. things that are not even confirmed yet. Well, it was for a while. He was at one point. He was saying, you know, I wish they would. He he was saying stuff to where, you know, I would love to. Uh, you got to tell them that. You got to like he wasn't saying anything like that. But just recently, he was saying that he's in talks. Uh, he's talking, and then other people are saying, I got to find. I don't know. Uh, I don't have a. You know, a person, uh, uh, Google it. People are doing it, but I, f- I forget who said it. But yeah, it's coming from all directions Brooke said right now. It before so. WrestleMania, too, didn't she? Yeah. Oh, Brooke well, was I saying it, but Hogan denied time. it, yeah. I think I think it's time. I think they do need to bring him back all seriousness. Because, you know, he, he was a big icon in the business. And you don't, you don't want him to get swallowed up by TNA. <laughs> where do we uh, stick him, though? Like, what do you do with him? Like, what do you, how do you bring in a Hulk Hogan to where... I granted, I doubt he's going to do everything, something every week. But how do, how do we use him? Well, if I don't we do see him as an ambassador. That's a <laughs> Legends contract. <laughs> By Legends contract, I don't think he's going to be an ambassador for a while. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't see him going down to uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard in Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> promoting the WWE Network for nine ninety nine. I don't see that happening. What you're going to do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? Uh, I don't know. You're right. Cooter, get ready, Cooter. It's going to be a meme pageant part two coming up soon. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to have to do a live episode on YouTube. Just do the Hulk Hogan racist meme pageant part two. Oh, guys. Well, you know, uh, we were talking about Raw a little bit. Let me bring it back there for a second. Uh, Apparently, uh, this is uh, from WrestleZone I'm checking out. This week's WWE Raw draws the second lowest rating of all time. Granted, it's Memorial Day weekend, but you figure... Everybody's back home on Monday night, right? Everybody's back home from the vacation, in my mind. And you're going to probably watch TV. So you can't really use that Memorial Day excuse to a certain extent. But they're saying um, the Memorial Day edition of Raw featuring the final hype for Extreme Rules pay-per-view averaged 2.61 million viewers. Uh, The number is down from last week's show, and it's a new low for 2017. uh, This week's show had advertised main events for Roman Reigns with Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt's Mojo and Finn Balor in a triple threat, but the final rating for Raw this week was a 1.75, which is a new ratings low, uh, they're saying, for this year. So it's the second lowest rating Raw has ever drawn. Uh, the only episode of Raw in WWE history which drew lower than this week's show aired on the night of the first presidential debate between Trump and Hillary Clinton uh, that finished with a 1.74 rating. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, what do you think about that? Uh, that's pretty bad, no? 
You know, they have no excuses with that. There was no NBA Finals on. They had nothing competing against them. So, I, I mean, it has to do with the booking. The fans aren't getting into it. It's And the best thing, I mean, not the best thing, excuse me, the thing about it is the fact that, like, I like how they are promoting stuff, like, the week before. Like, you're going to get this a week before, but that's not working now. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. In this Bailey segment that happened, oh, this is your life. Oh, my that's, God. That's probably going to drown us even more in, in the ratings. It, it was just absolutely horrendous. They, like, get out of the theatrics. I get that the E is for entertainment, but just fucking go back to wrestling, man. I want to see some good matches. Worst actors. You know what I mean? It's hard. Like, I'm not Worst. here to watch a, you know, this kind of fucking. I, I, I don't care about Bailey's life or this shit. Like, I want to see a good match. You know, give me a, a heated promo real quick after the match. Like,. I don't need 15 minutes of like a fucking variety show. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they need to get whoever's booking that shit, man. They need to get them off raw. And oh god, it's horrible. Like, it's it, the old way isn't working anymore, kids. You There's know? so many better ways that they could have, uh, so many better things they could have done for that Bailey and Alexa Bliss program. I mean, let one of them just beat up on somebody as a job, right? That would be more interesting than that shit that that we had to see. Like. Like, at first, it had my attention, but within like two minutes, it's just and and that's something that SmackDown does very well. When they have their talking segments, they're they're relatively short. I mean, that opening segment with 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 all the guys involved in uh, the Money in the Bank ladder match, that they all came out there real quick. They they all shot the shit, and then that all right, we're having a tag match now. Fuck it. Yeah. Like. Well, I, it, that's just the way to do it. They're not dragging out the entertainment aspect of it. And they're they're using a, a fraction of entertainment to help build up a, a much better match. You know, when The Rock and Mankind did This Is Your Life, it was one of the highest rating sec- segments in history. They're trying to recreate that. But the difference between that and this is The Rock and Mankind, it wasn't scripted. They just went off each other. And it felt natural. This was like horribly driven down your throat scripted worst acting ever like when you have the crowd chanting delete and this is boring you have to pull the plug on this you really do i mean the funny thing is vince had no problem pulling the plug on lesnar and Heyman a couple months ago when the crowd wasn't turning on him when they kept chanting for uh when they weren't chanting for goldberg they were chanting for lesnar and vince got so mad in the back that he pulled the plug just played lesnar's music and they walked back to i don't know if you guys remember that segment yes i don't know why he didn't do that for this because it was just going down a slippery path and it just got worse and worse and the crowd hated it i hated it I'm sure somebody backstage and Gorilla flipped the table, but I don't understand why they didn't just call it and send Bailey out a lot earlier than before. A wasted, Ugh. wasted segment. It's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, when will they learn? I hope they, they, you know, they, they use this, and I know they're like, oh, we don't look at the ratings or whatever, but come on, I'm fucking, you gotta do something with that show, especially being your number one branded show of uh, the company. Yeah. So, you that makes all no that sense, talent, All that talent makes no sense. Ugh. Get rid of the fucking E and go back to the fucking F. I want the, the Federation back. Fucking entertainment. I'm sick of it. Uh, I'm entertained by wrestling, so show me some wrestling. So, uh, Lastly, though, uh, there once again, I like to bring up some rumor mill stuff, but uh, there's could be a possible Vince McMahon table for three. Um, they, they said some other guys were going to be joining him, but regardless, whoever it is, uh, I'm just curious, guys. I know these, kind of, these are kind of like short shows. You know, they're not like three-hour episodes, but... 
Who are you kind of interested? Would you want to see Vince on this table for three? And maybe what the hell would you want to hear him say? Depends who you put him with. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, the rumor mill is what you said earlier was Patterson and Briscoe. So it's Vince and his two stooges. I mean, I guess that could be somewhat entertaining. But I mean, I, I want to see something like a little controversial, like the one they had this week. I mean, if you didn't see uh, Cornette and Bischoff and, and Michael Hayes, it was actually pretty good. I mean, and, and I like them because they're short. For like 20, 25 minutes, and uh, that was a really interesting one. Let's get Ted Turner on there. <laughs> Just I, some, something that will make it like, because when you said, oh, shit, Eric Bischoff and Cornette are going to be in the same room, in the same interview, that got my attention. Um, when you're talking Vince, I want to see something that's going to get my attention. I would put Vince, Bischoff, and Heyman at a table mm. for three. I think that would be great conversation right there. Just going back and forth with the ECW, WCW, and the WWF at the time. All the Monday Night Wars, ECW, you know, coming in out of nowhere. That's something I'd love to see. I mean, I, I watched a little bit of the table for three, and, and I really liked the interaction between Cornette and Bischoff. I think mm. Michael Hayes was just kind of like a third man just there. Yeah. He was just like, didn't didn't fit in in my opinion if anything but, he was just the one like directing the the uh the conversation of what he wanted them to talk about but Cornette and bischoff seemed to get along after the first five minutes you know what you know who i would put in a table for three and as much as i really hate this guy mm-hmm. i would put Vince russo in there with who I think you would get Vince Russo. I mean, you could do Vince Russo, Cornette, and Bischoff, but then we're talking about McMahon, so I would do Vince Russo, Cornette, and Russo, or Vince Russo, Cornette, and McMahon. I don't, I don't think that that, that there'd be uh, some legal issues there because somebody <laughs> might get killed. That that would be ratings. You wanted controversy. Yeah, you know. I guess you got me there. I mean. But I mean, if I want to see a beheading, I could just go to YouTube and, and, and look up a fucking ISIS video. You know what I mean? That's true. There you go. Uh, guys, well, that's what's happening in the week. A lot of stuff happening. Uh, once again, anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at a wrestling POD. Tweet us, uh, Facebook us, another wrestling podcast, all that fun stuff. Let us, let us, let us know you're out there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this week for the must-see matches on the Angry Cooter mixtape, Raw was such a hard choice because you had a pretty good main event, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, but me personally, I was all about the triple threat between Samoa Joe, Bray Wyatt, and Finn Balor. Uh, For SmackDown, I said it earlier, I think the women stole the show. That little elimination fatal five-way that they were supposed to have, or whatever the hell it was supposed to be called, with Charlotte, Becky Lynch, Tamina, uh, Carmella, and god damn, I always forget this poor heart's name, but Natty Nadhart, there we go. Uh, I have to give them the nod, even though there was no finish to the match. These girls just beat the piss out of each other. 205 Live, god damn, another one from Mustafa Ali and Drew Gulak, of all people. Jesus Christ, this is actually a pretty decent match. Um, from from a show that was rated pretty low on the dirt sheets. I mean, but I, I just seem to enjoy it. NXT, of course, everybody is loving these UK guys. 
So Danny Birch and Pete Dunn again stole the show from me on NXT this week. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this week's musty matches on the Angry Cooter mixtape. You fucking bitches, you. Promo of the week. Terry Funk. Terry Funk. When we talk about the legends of the sport, there's only two in my book. One man is sitting right here on my shirt, and the other man will look me in the eye across the ring. Because, Terry Funk, you are what the sport is all about. And tonight, right here, in a barbed wire death match, Cactus Jack will show the world that he, too, is what the sport is all about. Funk, you were my friend. When I needed guidance, I called Terry Funk. When I needed answers, I asked Terry Funk. But when I need to take my place in the sport of professional wrestling with the legends of the business, I show up here and I don't ask Terry Funk anything. I tell him! I say, Terry Funk, no friends anymore. Because tonight, this is my friend. Tonight, fire is my friend. And tonight, danger is the love of my pathetic life. Because, Funk Son, it is only when it's at its most dangerous that I'm truly alive. And people say, Cactus, does that mean you're not afraid of anything? And I say, no. It means I'm afraid of everything. But Terry Funk, can't you see? That's what puts the spark in my eye. That's what put the flash in this smile. Because I've got nothing left to lose. You can't take my teeth. They're already gone. You can't take my ear. Because that's gone too. And Terry Funk, you can't take my heart. Because it's too big for you to carry. So the whole world will stay unnoticed when I leave Terry Funk draped in pieces of flesh across the barbed wire. The whole world will take notice that there's a new king in town. Onita! It makes me laugh. Because where is he? He's not in this gym, no. He took that time and decided to retire. He thought in that million-dollar mind of his, don't ruin the legend of Onita. Get out before it's too late. So I got a one message for Onita's son. It says, Itsu Demo. Itsu Demo. It means wherever and whatever you want. If you've got the guts, but I know you don't. Because the only man sick enough, the only man mentally deranged enough to want to risk it all with Cactus Jack. It's my hero. See, I matched I'm three. All right, guys, you know, uh, a lot of people talk about goats, uh, 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 the greatest of all times. We, uh, we, we haven't really talked about the greatest of all time in the extreme world. I mean, it is extreme rules this weekend. So in your mind, uh, who is your favorite goat? Or who do you think is the goat of extreme? I guess that's what we can get to. Uh, the goat of extreme, uh, greatest of all time in extreme uh, wrestling. Uh, you know, for me, right off the top, let me let me introduce you to one of my favorites, uh, Cactus Jack. Now, this is the Cactus Jack pre-WWE, though. I mean, uh, we got some good stuff out of him in the WWE, but not 
like what he was doing in Japan. Uh, when I first saw the stuff that he was doing, I think I, I picked up a videotape, I, th I think at an ECW show, and it was Cactus Jack in Japan, something like that. Uh, the dude is carrying a crucifix in barbed wire to the ring, and I'm like... Uh, I'm a fan already. This is like, who the fuck does this? Uh, this is, you know, the shit that he was doing in, in in Japan, the stuff, you know, just all over the world. It was it was more than extreme. It was just fucking crazy. Uh, he lost his damn ear in a match with Vader. Uh, fucking just, well, uh, he was doing insane stuff. I know he kind of toned down through the years, but I don't know. One of the, I think one of the greatest of all times in the world of extreme would have to be Cactus Jack, just from his run uh, as him playing simple in Japan. I thought we had the matches with fucking Terry Funk out there, the bomb matches. They were doing some fucking crazy shit before a lot of other people up here were doing crazy shit, like CZW and all that junk. But uh, I don't know, guys. I think Cactus Jack, to me, out of anybody in my eyes, was probably one of the greatest of all times in the world of extreme. Do you agree, disagree? But let me know. Tell me, who's your greatest of all time? I have to go with Terry Funk. That's crazy motherfucker right there. Chainsaw Charlie. Chainsaw Charlie <laughs> in the WWE. Terry Funk. But there's so many out there. There really are. Like Cactus Jack was one of the innovators of, of violence. And I'm not speaking about Tommy Dreamer. I'm actually speaking about Cactus Jack, Mick Foley. And you, and you look at him now, you would never think, because he's just like this humbled, nice guy. <laughs> Back in the day, his ears like ripped off his head, all this crap. Um, Terry Funk was one guy. I don't want to go on a tangent going off on other guys. I'm going to let you guys name off some guys, but I'm going to throw Terry Funk out there. Uh, yeah, he, he definitely had the great matches with uh, Cactus over in Japan, too. Uh, just fucking... Yeah, he's just fucking insane, man. The guy would have had, like, ten retire, retiring matches. He just could never quit, uh, even in his old age, you know? He's definitely fucking always looking to be just turning it up a notch, if you will, in the, in the world of extreme, for sure. Oh, building off uh, some of your guys, I mean, you say Cactus and you say Terry Funk. When, when I think... Of Terry Funk, I, I one match just sticks to my mind, and it's the one, it's the barbed wire match that he had against Sabu. I mean, that was just oh, absolutely wow. brutal, and and for Sabu to literally cut his arm from, I think he said, like his bicep from his like just all the way down and just slashed. I think it was like the, from the bicep to the tricep, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was just I think so. he had to. Fonzie had to get him a roll of tape so he could tape it up. And Terry's beating the shit out of him as he's taping up his arm. And he finished the match, too. I know. It was just... And then they ended up in that big, giant ball of barbed wire outside the ring. It was just absolutely insane. And he was the one who was pushing a lot of that action and was really... Uh, really putting himself on the line there. So, I mean, you have to put Sabu's name in there as... One of the greatest of all times. I think we all need to pick one that's outside of ECW because we all did just pick like three ECW alums. <laughs> Can we all just go around and just pick one guy that that's is not difficult. ECW? It's, <laughs> that's kind of difficult you think about it because every guy who is so extreme came from ECW. Well, I mean, I, I can name off somebody who's still current and you'll never see an extreme side from him again because of the WB product. But when he was on the Indies, Dean Ambrose was fucking crazy. Oh, it's fucking true. guy 
took a chainsaw to the or not a, a saw to the head. Yeah, a it, fucking it, saw. Wait, to the him, head. him and Sammy Callahan, man, you got to see some of their fucking matches oh. in CZW. Uh, not too many people have seen a lot of Sammy Callahan's uh, violent stuff, but I mean, if you haven't, holy shit, you know, like I'm like some of these guys, Same. man. Ugh, I don't get. I, I get it, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't get it. You know, it's, I'm like, damn, man, just to do this to your bodies. Uh, a lot of those guys, you know. But hey, a, a, a former guest, a guest a few episodes ago, took Ab- my fucking answer, Ab- you motherfucker. <laughs> Abdul just the Butcher. Just take my answer, you motherfucker. <laughs> Great minds think alike, right? That's all right. Well, what are you going to say? Because uh, when I talked to him, you know, the the fork. I asked him why, why why the fork. He's like, just because it was there, you know. Like, what a fucking nutcase. Like, he just saw he just saw a fork. Was like, I'm gonna fucking stick somebody in the head with it like holy shit like i uh, how do you work with these guys in a match like you know you think about it these matches are called i'm like okay we're gonna do this and that okay i'm gonna stick a fork in your fucking head i'm gonna wrap your you know like how do you work this match I, that's what i would love to know just like to be in their minds to be the fly on the wall when they're trying to like figure this out like <sighs> how do you not know that this other guy's not that crazy that he's not gonna kill you you know what i'm saying like you're in this match and he's just cutting you. Or uh, how about another guy, Cooter? You know uh, who fought? Necro Butcher. Yes, well, I was gonna say with uh, New Jack and stuff. I uh, won their, some of their matches. That uh, another I guy. Think f- that was New Jack's retirement match. Yeah, in Jersey, I was there. Fucking another guy that you just look up and you're just like taking light bulbs and smashing them on their heads with it. And hey, he was I'm, ma- you were mass talking transit about- hardcore too. Mass Transit was oh, extreme. That was ECW. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was ECW. So you, you're you, still you, extreme. You already broke the rule. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you say the Necro Butcher. Another one that comes to mind, I mean, we weren't exposed to too much stuff uh, of him when we were younger, obviously. But um, I have seen tapes of of the original Sheik. When he mm. would, stuff that he would do with the spike. And let's not forget about Carlos Colon. Yeah. He, he could get it in. Ugh, man, I just... I'm still thinking in my head, like, how do you fucking work these matches, and how do you trust that guy? Like, you know, like, okay, you knew him a few times, or but how do you know he's not fucking crazy and just, I don't know, not gonna kill you? Like, New Jack almost killed what's his name right there? Uh, Mass Transit. Yeah, in a fucking match. Like, how do you? That's crazy. That's, I don't know. These, the, the, are these, all these guys are pretty much can go down as uh, the goats of extreme, if you will. I mean, the little Hall of Fame, if you will, for them, because I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see how you could. Put yourself through this. You know what I mean? Necro Butcher, New Jack, Sabu, Cactus Jack, uh, Chainsaw Charlie, no, Terry Funk. Uh, Sandman, uh, baby. Sandman, Wait, another crazy. Can we mention, make mention an honorable mention? All right. He's not going to be in the top three, obviously, but I mean, I, I was always a fan of Raven. Raven, extreme. Raven was good. Yeah. Good I on love the mic, Raven. good in the ring, good in the hardcore stuff. So definitely. We have Scare a lot up. of greatest of all time, but yeah, but let me let me throw you guys under the bus on this one. Now we had all these names in there. Could we agree on maybe who was the best out of all of them? Could we could we agree on just like the winner? Like who would win out of this? I, I don't know. Like who do we put to the top of the mountain? Is that hard to do? Who would you guys put? I mean, we all have our favorites, but could we narrow it down to like one guy or no? It's hard, right? I mean, for me. Like Cactus Jack has done stuff, but then there's guys like, you know, Terry Funk, who's you know probably came a lot before him. But I mean, I don't know. It's hard to bounce it out. Who would you put at the top of that mountain? Like, who's done the worst fucking shit? Maybe right? Who's the who's the greatest of all time in the extreme land? Maybe we Bill Cosby. Even... 
must be. Don't leave your drinks, kids. Don't leave your drinks around. <laughs> well, maybe we could just leave it up for the fans out there. Who would you think should be the number one greatest of all time out there? Tweet us at a wrestling POD. Let us know. Maybe we'll fight about it and I'll talk about it next week and see uh, what you guys said. Emma, you hear they might bring back Hulk Hogan? Yeah, really? Are they going to let him say, let me tell you something, brother? Oh, Mom. Mom.